What's up, everybody? Welcome back to a Mile Higher Podcast, episode 158. What are we talking about today? Where'd you get 158 from? Oh, it is six. Dude, this is <laughs> dyslexia for you. <ya. laughs> Honestly, it's just bad vision. <laughs> I was going to say, put some glasses on. I need to zoom this in. Yeah. Where are my Warby Parkers? <laughs> but yes, today is episode 156. And today we're talking about the mysterious death of Kendrick Johnson, which is an insane case, honestly. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, we've just been racking our brains about it for the last couple of days. So we are excited to get into it. It's been highly requested. And there's been a huge update in the case recently. So there has been a really big update that could potentially even, you know, really solve this case. Maybe. Yeah. Who knows what's going to happen? It's very unpredictable at this point. But I have covered it a long time ago on my channel. But it felt like you've never got to share your opinions on this case. No, no, I haven't. And, you know, the more I've dove into it, I'm just mm-hmm. like blown away at everything that's kind of transpired with this. And just, isn't it crazy? There's just so many questions and so many weird sketchiness surrounding this and mm-hmm. the people involved with mm-hmm. it and the way the investigation was conducted is, is kind of odd. I mean, there's just so many things to it. It's just one of those that I, I don't know. I hope we get an answer and a final, mm-hmm. you know, conclusion to this and closure for, Kendrick's family because yeah. I mean at the end of the day it's the absolute tragic death of Kendrick is just I mean that's tough enough but then mm-hmm. to have all of this other stuff kind of wrapped up into it is is it makes it just 10 times worse so mm-hmm. yeah they've really been through the ringer with this case they really have been so that's what we're going to dive into today we do have a few announcements though beforehand and also this episode of Malhar podcast is brought to you by simply save pretty litter Rothy's blenders and HelloFresh. So you want, let's talk about our first announcement. Yes, actually, we have an accessories drop coming up for 420. We did this last year and you guys told us, tweeted at us what you wanted to see again. And we got a bunch of cool things. Some of the same things as last year, just new designs, but also some new things that we've never done before. So we're really pumped for this. Everything is dropping on our merch website, which is milehiremerch.com on 420, April 20th, 12 p.m. MST. And then also on 420, 420 is a big day around here. (laughs) We have a sale going on for our wellness company, Higher Love Wellness. And we are going to be doing 20% off site wide. This is our first major sale. We're super pumped about it. All of our products will be 20% off from 420 to my birthday, 422. So you have three days to take advantage of the sale, which is always nice Mm -hmm. and, you know, stock up for sure. If you've never been to higherlovewellness.com before, basically we sell a wide range of premium hemp extract CBD products that are all grown, manufactured, produced right here in our home state of Colorado. Mm-hmm. It's super fresh. I mean, we fall from seed to sale. It's some of the best stuff that's out there. We truly believe, and we have everything from a topical salve to gummies to uh, we have tinctures, a, tinctures, delicious oils, wax. Yeah, our CBD pens. wax, which we'll be doing a little demo on our Instagram. So if you're not following yes. us on Instagram definitely do it's at higher love wellness co mm-hmm. we have some giveaways coming up too so you'll want to follow for that reason as well exactly because with the recent vape ban you know obviously that was an item that was hugely popular with you guys it's such and, a bummer uh, everyone's so bummed yeah and hopefully we can bring that back we're kind of playing it safe to wait and see what really happens and see if it's mm-hmm. going to affect the cbd hemp world we don't know for sure yet but hopefully we'll be able to bring that back but in the meantime The CBD wax is really, really good stuff. It's probably one of the most effective ways to consume CBD. You Mm -hmm. feel instant effects from it, uh, which is really, really great. And we'll have a little video of how to use our Terp pen, which is what you actually use to dab the CBD 
on our Instagram. So check that out and see if you might be interested in that. So very exciting stuff. 420. Higherlovewellness.com and milehiremerch.com. Yep. So yeah, let's get into it and try to break this down as slow as we can because it's really perplexing, this case, and how it all happened. It's foggy at times. It is. I mean, that's what makes this case so kind of frustrating is just the timeline is so Mm -hmm. fuzzy and we don't really know exactly, you know, who, what, when, where everybody involved in this case was. And so there's just so many questions with it. So let's start with Kendrick Johnson. He was born on October 10th, 1995. He lived in Valdosta, Georgia, which is about 15 miles away from the Florida border. And his friends and family called him KJ. He was a super sweet and quiet kid who was well-liked at school and adored by his parents, Kenneth and Jacqueline, who went by Jackie and his two older siblings. And Kendrick was a star athlete. He was super, super athletic and talented. No matter what sport he played, he was one of the best on the team. He played football and basketball and ran track at Lowndes High School in Valdosta. And he hoped to play football one day at Florida State University and dreamed of, you know, one day making it into the NFL. And he definitely could have. Yeah. He really could have. Very skilled. So in 2013, KJ was 17 years old and he had gone back to school after winter break the second week of January, which is always kind of that sluggish, you know, downtime of year. Yeah. It's like, oh, God. Yeah. Six more months of school. Well, not six months normally, but it feels, <laughs> feels like, like that. Hey, so, it feels like that some sometimes. schools go to like June. Actually, man. that's true. My school did go to the beginning of June. Now I think about it. It's basically it was like terrible. Summer. Yeah, that's it was terrible. So that Thursday, January 10th, he had plans to meet a few friends after school to go to the freshman basketball game, but he never showed up that day. And his mom expected him to come home after the game. And when he was late, she started to worry, of course, because KJ never missed his curfew or snuck out. He was the kind of kid who always called his parents to let them know if he would be you know, late or if something came up. But by 930, she was really starting to panic when she hadn't heard from him. And by 11, she was out looking for him, driving back and forth from their house to the school, looking around you know, the streets near them. At 1230 a.m., she called the police to report him missing. The dispatcher dismissed her, saying that he was you know, probably just out with some fast-tailed girl and that's a quote from the dispatcher fast-tailed girl yeah just being like oh your son's probably out just you know hanging with his girl or whatever Mm -hmm. you know he'll be back by morning so kj's dad kenneth was a truck driver and was out on the road so jackie stayed up all night with her mother kj's grandmother praying the police didn't call back until four that morning and kj still wasn't home at that point So the next morning at 8.30, Jackie went back to the school and she met with the counselor and found out that KJ had missed a few of his last classes the day before. So now she was really worried because it was not like him to skip class. Which obviously KJ being a student athlete, you've got to keep your grades up. You got to go to class. That's like a big deal. So that was, you know, played into her reasoning for why he wouldn't miss school. But also, as we'll find out a little bit later on in here, the surveillance footage has him last shown on camera at 1.09 p.m. Mm-hmm. So from one o'clock, one o'clock is virtually the last time we we saw him in the school. And after that, he just disappears. And we have no idea where he went. So around 11 a.m., she's sitting in the counselor's office discussing flyers that they're going to post up when the counselor got a call and the phone volume was turned up loud enough for Jackie to hear it. And the caller said that someone found a body in the gym. And the counselor left the room and Jackie was immediately panicked, of course. About an hour earlier, around 10 that morning, a group of students were in the old gym waiting for a life sports class to start. 
And they had two gyms. This is pretty common in most older high schools. You know, they'll have a second gym. And sometimes it's not even used. But normally there's something newer and bigger for most of the new schools. Right. Or older schools that. Yeah, where they'll have like varsity sports play in a much Mm -hmm. bigger, fancier, larger bleachers is what it comes down to, really. Right. Is there's just more room for bleachers in the main gym. And then this old gym is usually where. You know, you the wrestling team will have their mats and mm-hmm. cheerleading will mm-hmm. do their practices in the other gym because the other one's school. just bigger and makes more sense for, for a lot of the other sports. So. so this group of students was hanging out in the old gym waiting for that class to start. And they kept these huge wrestling mats and cheerleading mats rolled up in the corner of the old gym. And these are big, heavy, heavy mats. They're usually lying down, but over winter break, someone had propped them up and had added several more as well. When class started, Coach Philip Piplow called the students together and handed out surveys for them to complete. After one of the female students had finished her survey, she noticed something at the top of one of the mats. These mats were huge. They're over six feet tall, and they weigh 700 pounds. So they can't just be knocked over. So she climbed the bleachers and walked across to get a better look. And she saw a pair of white socks sticking out. And that's when she realized that there was a person stuck inside the mat. She thought maybe someone was playing a prank, so she called her friends over. One of them saw the feet and screamed. So the coach raced over to the mats to see what was going on. He rounded up a few other students so that they could collectively push over this mat because that's how heavy these things are. Yeah, they're extremely heavy. Thick rubber. I mean, I want to guesstimate that they're probably about six to eight inches thick Mm -hmm. of thick rubber, you know, obviously to protect cheerleaders, people, you know, tumbling through the air and people Mm -hmm. wrestling so super heavy duty so as they finally got it to tip over a shoe and some books fell to the floor and once it was down coach philip tried to pull the person out head first from the other side but it was too late there was blood and vomit inside the mat and they all talked about the smell of death instantly filling the room he immediately told the students to go over to the new gym and wait and he called 911 the Lounge High School now. There's a dead body out here. Okay, where at, sir? Lounge High School in the old gym. Police officers and EMTs were dispatched to the school at 10.30 a.m., and they arrived at 10.35, and by 11 o'clock, they had the entire school on lockdown. The investigation was led by Lowndes County Sheriff Chris Pine, and he requested backup from the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, or the GBI, in order to help process the scene. Inside was Kendrick Johnson, and he was stuck inside the rolled up mat with his head toward the floor and one arm stretched above his head, almost like he was reaching down for something. And he had been in this position for 21 hours, which is crazy. Investigators interviewed every student who had been in the old gym the day before and that morning. One of the things that they found out was that the school actually charged students in order to use lockers. So several kids used the rolled up mats in order to store their gym clothes and shoes. That's wild. I've never heard of a school charging for lockers. That's so weird. Never heard of that before either. Like at my school, our lockers, you know, didn't have locks on it. So they would be like, bring a lock. Mm-hmm. Otherwise there might be a, you know, your shit might get stolen. And mm-hmm. actually my shit got stolen with a lock on it at one point. Oh damn! But I think I like messed up and I didn't like actually, sw- you know, swirl the thing. So <laughs> okay. they just pulled down and opened it and took my Zoom. But anyway. <laughs> my Zoom. I was very upset about that. But Janelle's school oh, yeah. was different, right? My school, you were provided locks and you had to use the ones that they gave you because the school had a master key so they could get into any of them whenever they wanted. Yeah. So, well, your school's one of the top funded schools probably in the state, so that's yep. why. That is but true. Like a college. This is this school 
is not like that no. at all. And the yeah. fact that they charge. What are they that's charging? Kids? Insane. You'd think it's just your right to have a place to store your items as a student. That's so strange. That's never even crossed my mind. Yeah. An issue. That's so sad. But I'm not surprised that students would go find other hiding places to yeah. put their stuff while they were, you know, in gym mm-hmm. class or, mm-hmm. you know, they'd go put their clothes that they were going to wear for like their gym class or their weightlifting class somewhere, you know, in the middle of the day. So they had it later on for whatever reason. I don't, I don't know. Maybe they have another locker, but just all around kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Investigators also looked at the school's security footage in order to piece together Kendrick's movements from the day before. They saw him going to his morning classes there early in the morning in the, around 830 or so. He also went into the gym at 109 p.m. And there's footage of him jogging off to the right toward the mats at 127 p.m. But there was no useful footage of the mats. So the whole camera situation mm-hmm. in the gym is just just crap. Like it's so annoying. A lot of schools don't have great security cameras. It's kind of surprising, mm-hmm. especially, you know, older schools. Their cameras are just kind of outdated and what this what I did find out with this is and this is confirmed is not all of the cameras in the school took video footage. Some of them were motion detected and when it detected motion it took like screenshots, like snapshots mm. of certain amount of frames per second. So it wasn't like a fluid thing. Mm. Because what investigators start trying to figure out is why kids are seemingly like appearing and disappearing. And and when you watch the surveillance footage, it does look really weird. It looks like there's things missing potentially, which Mm -hmm. maybe there is. We don't know for sure if there's not footage missing. But we do know is that some of the footage from the gym is just from one of those motion detected cameras that was taking snapshots as opposed to live running footage. So that's why it looks like he's kind of like, you know, kind of moving across the gym like that. Mm -hmm. Investigators also believe that he was passing through the old gym in order to pick up his shoes. And then he would be heading to his next class in the field house, which is one of the school's athletic facilities for a weightlifting class. Other students entered the gym just three minutes after him as well. And initially investigators didn't find any evidence of foul play. And the same night Kendrick's body was found, Sheriff Chris Pine announced that his death was an accident. According to law enforcement, they said that KJ had climbed the bleachers to get to the top of the mats. He saw his shoes inside, tried to reach in, and then he accidentally fell into the mat, getting stuck and eventually suffocating. The autopsy that was performed by GBI medical examiner Marianne Gaffney Craft listed the cause of death as positional asphyxia. And this happens when a person is trapped upside down in one position for an extended period of time. It's a rare diagnosis, though. That's usually only considered after all other possibilities are ruled out because literally there was only 37 cases of positional asphyxia from 1992 all the way up until when the term was first introduced in 2018. It That makes a lot of sense. I mean, positional asphyxia, that's like a very hard thing to, to do. If you think about getting yourself mm-hmm. stuck, there's only so many things ways. a human can get stuck in. Yeah, ways you can get stuck into something and, and die upside down like that. Oh, that sounds just terrible scary it does it does if that's even what happened right so that this is the whole narrative that law enforcement is you know this is what they concluded literally like the same day like it was just like all right this is it but the official investigation conducted by law enforcement did not satisfy kendrick's parents at all they were not convinced that he had died accidentally like they had said Mm -hmm. and they still had a ton of questions about the investigation itself One of the important notes that seemed to be left out of the law enforcement's investigation was the fact that when EMTs first arrived and saw Kendrick's body, they noticed that he had bruising on the right side of the jaw. 
but investigators claimed that there were no signs of blunt force trauma on Johnson's face or body. And the autopsy said there was no significant injuries either to note. Also, there were doubts that KJ could even fit inside of this rolled up mat at all. Mm -hmm. He's five foot 10 and the mats were six foot two. Some say the mats were a little bit taller than that. But when they're rolled up, the diameter was only 14 and a quarter inches. And KJ's shoulder width was 19 inches. That's like my first thing. I think that's what everybody's first thing is. Is like, how does this guy who's this big athlete end up yeah. in the middle of one of these mats? Because they're big, but they're not like, en- they're not like enormous to the point where a bunch of people could fall inside of it and get stuck in it. Definitely not fall inside of it. I mean, you'd have he would have had to like squish in, like squeeze his shoulders in, and shimmy then like down. shimmy down in. Yeah. Yeah. And does that? I don't know if that. It seems like a inconvenient place to store your stuff. If it's that much work to get down there, I don't know. It's just, it seems, why? Why would he? Well, it's possible that it was on top and, and he knocked in. it down on accident into it. And, he and so he was like, it. oh, I got to reach down and try to grab it. And then he tried, he tried to, he thought maybe I can like hook my, because if you think about it, you could if you really could go inside of this, which it doesn't seem like it's even possible to do that, you could hook your feet kind of on the end of it and then reach down. I mean, six foot two, he's five ten with his wingspan. He should be able to grab to the bottom of it, right? Maybe. He should be able to get to the bottom and grab the shoe. But it's also how do you get back up after that, too? It's going to be a lot more difficult right. to do that. It just seems like if this was something that he did all the time, that it wouldn't really be worth it. But I guess, like you said, it could have just fallen in there and been some one-off thing. I don't know i mean that's just it seems odd for him to have tried to do that yeah and people are still coming into the gym as well so you would think that coming into this gym you'd see somebody like trying to get their shoe from inside yeah. the mat and be like what the fuck? you know they start like flailing and mm-hmm. stuff because they're stuck and that would have drawn attention to it but that's not the case here at all well let's bring up that reenactment while we're talking about that and they kind of ex- or show you what it would sound like if someone was screaming from within one of these mats yeah Go ahead and let's tip them up. Felicia, can you help? Should I get out first? Yeah, just move your hand. So, we're showing you right now. Go ahead and yell. Yell for help. Yell for help. Can you hear me? You s- yell again. See how nobody would hear that? You say it loud. Nobody can hear them. Wow. Try to get out. Try to get out. Try to knock it down. Try to knock it down. See, he can't. Now let's tip him over. Let's get him out. Here's my thing with that clip, though. Okay. Is that when they, you know, push the mat over, the guys in there, the diameter looks to be a little bit bigger than the diameter that mm-hmm. uh, Kendrick was in. Well, it would depend on how they rolled the mat, right? But just looking at the opening, if you were to look at that, oh, that opening looks a little bit big. So like, but it's hard to tell though, because this kid's probably smaller than it is hard to too, tell. So I don't know. That looks a little um, bit bigger to me. But yeah, they basically had him, they rolled him up in it, it's clear. Or he must have crawled in once it was already rolled, but it was laying flat and then they stood him up. So he didn't fully test the theory of falling in. It was just, can right. you hear it? Can you knock it down? Right, right. So it doesn't really tell us that much, but it's interesting to hear. And I think someone may have heard that though. I know it's very muffled, but if you're in yeah. a quiet gym... But I mean, that that would just you'd have to assume that someone would have to be walking by at the right time and be close enough to hear it and assume all these things. And, and maybe no one came in during those while he no, was yelling and, and if he was really upside down. I'll bet you anything that 
in that type of situation, if you're trapped into a space like that, you probably pass out fairly quickly. Probably. If you think about it, you're hanging upside, you're upside down. So blood's rushing to your head. Think about if you were to hang upside down, like Ugh, off mm-hmm. your bed, you start yeah. to get kind of like, imagine doing that for five, 10, 20 minutes. And you're in this small space with limited air. Too. Right, right. So you're probably going to pass out and be unconscious fairly quickly. That would make sense why nobody would hear somebody yelling help for longer than maybe a minute, uh, a few minutes, if you could even hear it behind all of those mats. And but that's assuming that he was alive when he went into the mats. Right, right. You know, Which, this is just one theory exactly. to make it clear. But before we get more into this case, we're going to take a quick ad break. So there are several problems with how this crime scene was handled from the beginning. According to Georgia state law, the medical examiner needs to be notified immediately when a dead body is found. But the Lowndes County coroner, Bill Watson, wasn't called to the scene for six hours. Which there's just no excuse for that. No excuse and no reason. They really have no reason why they did this. Well, Um, their reason, the sheriff's office reason is because we didn't want to tip off the media. But that's not that's I mean, what the hell? That's not a good reason to break the law. Why not tip? Why not let the media cover the story? It's tragic. Right. Why is there mm -hmm. this like sketchiness around not letting the media come in? Right. If this is truly a tragic accident, let the media come in like let's let's get the full story here. And that also provides transparency for the public because now you've got the media there watching the law enforcement's every move, but that's not the case. They had six hours mm-hmm. before the coroner's brought in. Yeah, this guy was at his office a mile away. He could have been there very, very quickly. And he started to hear rumors that a body was found at the school, and but it was hours before anyone even contacted him directly. Which is terrible because he's got to come there and determine, you know, yeah. he's got to determine time of death. He's got mm-hmm. He's got to be there as soon as he can, as opposed to, Hours go by and he starts his body starts going to rigor mortis. Right. And it's like we're already we're already way behind the fact that he who knows how long he's been lying here upside down. We have no idea how long it's actually been and they're just delaying it. You'd think the urgency would be more than ever, considering we have no idea when this person died. But by the time he got there, rigor and liver mortis had set in. So as a reminder, rigor mortis causes the muscles to stiffen and liver mortis causes areas of the body where blood has settled to turn a purplish red color. So the EMT report lists the gym as a crime scene. And Bill Watson said that he definitely wouldn't have called it an accident based on what he saw that day. Yet the sheriff announced that there was no foul play later that night. They were very quick to make that call. And just like in so many cases we cover, not everyone in the gym that day wore protective shoe coverings to prevent contaminating the evidence. And some of the evidence wasn't even taken into police custody. So just really sloppy work. Which is going to make testing for DNA very difficult. It's also going to, you know, affect and contaminate blood evidence that might be there. I mean, it's just all around sloppy. Really stupid. A few yards away from KJ's body, there was a hoodie and there's also one orange and black tennis shoe. And the shoe, guys, has red spots on it that look like they could be blood. So they look at this and they decide that "Mm, it's probably not blood. And they never got it tested to make sure. And they decided that the hoodie and the shoe did not need to be taken in as evidence. Okay. Okay. If you look at the shoe, I don't know what else these blotches of red could be. It looks like dried coagulated blood drips on the shoe i mean who really knows but why wouldn't you just test yeah why not it's near the body so odd. Why? no because they're so quick to say accident done case closed let's move on because that would ruin their entire theory 
If he has, if there's blood on his shoe outside of the mat, which that tells us a lot, which why are they all about making theories? Aren't, isn't, aren't, isn't law Mm -hmm. enforcement there to get the truth? Like, aren't they there to try to figure out what really happened? Not these guys apparently, because also there were a bunch of streaks of blood down a white wall in the gym, which was only about 50 feet from the mats. A female member of the color guard told investigators that she was hit in the nose at practice the night before. So they took a swab of the blood and tested it against KJ's. And once they determined that it wasn't his, they didn't do anything else. They didn't figure out if it maybe was this girl's blood or if it was someone else's blood. They just said it was unrelated to the case. They also thought that the blood had been there longer than a day. So they apparently doubted that it belonged to this female student. Hmm. I mean, so why would she just say that? Why is the school just leaving blood dripping down a wall yeah, in the really, gym? Really that's concerning. really weird and unsanitary. But the fact that they didn't actually hold on to that and tried to match it to anything else in that gym. Why didn't they take that shoe, try to swab the shoe for blood? Because it clearly looks like there's blood mm-hmm. in there. Swab this one and see if the blood matches, you know, like or just at least keep it so that later on, you know, you might need that evidence. But they just literally ruled it out without even really thinking more about it, it seems like. So then there was a black and white tennis shoe that had been under KJ's head inside the mat and likely one of the shoes that he was possibly reaching for. This shoe was sitting sideways in a pool of blood, but there was no blood on the shoe itself, which is Which very makes no weird. sense. So if you think about this, why is the blood under the shoe? If, if KJ is truly reaching to get his shoe, the blood should be dripping all over the top of it. It should be covered in blood, but yet it's not. Because it starts to leak out if you're lying upside down and the through the your, out the started. holes of your oh, that is your head so yeah. upsetting to think about but if you do think about it it doesn't make any sense the shoe should be covered in blood not just lightly sitting on top of it yeah so maybe the shoe could have been moved from when the mat was tipped over and placed in the pool of blood but no one knows for sure yeah i mean that's the tough thing it wouldn't be that hard for a person or two to tip it over with him mm-hmm. in it and then just slide that under it yeah. to make it appear as if this was guy trying was trying to get his shoe. Mm, very suspicious. So the shoes that KJ wore to school that day were orange and white Nikes, and they were not on his feet when he were found. They were tucked in, next to his legs inside of the mat behind his knees. Which this is probably one of the most perplexing things to me. Is it that is. Why are his shoes off? I know. I agree with you. That is weird. And I mean, unless to him. in a, unless maybe if you're upside down, you're panicking, maybe he could have like, Kicked, them, kicked off. them off or knocked them off, maybe to make himself feel like less constricted Slip or through it. Confined. Maybe thought he could go through the bottom or something. I it. don't know, but it's Possibly. weird. It is weird. To me, I would want my shoes on because it gives you traction against that rubbery surface in there. Mm-hmm. Socks are just going to slide around, so that doesn't help you at all. Yeah, this is really. It's weird. almost as this is what I'm already thinking right now. It's almost as if KJ. He's near the mats. He's on the mats. He's changing his shoes when he gets attacked. Somebody throws, dumps him into the mat and then drop his shoes in there. And then later on, they put the other shoe under there to make it look like he was reaching into it. And there's more details with this theory I just put forward later. But that's what it's starting to look like to me. Mm -hmm. So obviously, once KJ's family found out about his death, they wanted to see the body right away. But they were actually denied. According to Georgia law, authorities must release custody of a body to next of kin within 24 hours if requested or unless they suspect foul play. But by that night, the sheriff announced that they didn't suspect foul play. Kenneth insisted on seeing his son's body before the autopsy. The authorities, however, only agreed after Kenneth called a press conference and talked to reporters. 
So later that day, they escorted him into a room with KJ's body. And he said that the room he was in was surprisingly warm. And when they opened the drawer, he felt a rush of warm air. He also noted that KJ's cheeks were covered in blood, his eyes and lips were swollen, and his skin was discolored. There was also scratches on his hands and his fingernails had been clipped. And Kenneth knew KJ always kept them long and thought it was very odd that someone had already clipped them. So mind you, this is before autopsy is performed. Mm -hmm. His parents weren't allowed to see their son's body again until after the initial autopsy. But when they finally did, they were absolutely horrified at what they saw. His face was so swollen that it barely looked human. And it was all bruised and almost looked like it had been smashed in. His head was even misshapened. How traumatizing to see your child that way. Like no parent should have to go through this. Yeah, and here's a clip of Kenneth actually talking about his experience with this. Handsome as my son was, then you see him like that, it's, it's, un, it's crazy. I really feel that he was murdered. No matter who you are, how much money your parents have, the color of your skin, everyone deserves justice. Everyone. Jackie and Kenneth didn't believe that KJ's death was an accident, but if they wanted any hope of getting investigators to listen, they needed more public support. So it became vital for them to get the word out. They took pictures of his face and they posted them everywhere, which was quite controversial. This hasn't been done often. Not It's, it's very rare for family members to want to share graphic photos of victims. Especially autopsy pictures. Right. But in this case, I see why they did it because they wanted people to know the severity and like what it really, when you hear the whole story, you're like, oh, maybe it really was an accident. But then you see these pictures and it does make you think. But people have been very critical about them using these. They shared his most graphic picture on social media and printed it on large posters and put them next to his school and labeled them before and after. And these were really impactful. And underneath the picture, they wrote, Sheriff Prine, you said no foul play. I don't think so. But at the time, here's the thing. They didn't disclose that this photo was taken after the autopsy, not before. So that's, I mean, obviously after an autopsy, people are going to look even worse. Yeah. So they had printed about 700 t-shirts with this on it. And they spent, you know, weeks outside protesting with these photos. And when people found out that these were after the autopsy was done, it did anger a lot of people. So the community really started to rally around them, especially the black community, because racism is still a huge problem in the South, especially in Georgia. And KJ's parents believe that his death was not taken seriously by the sheriff's department because he was black. And Sheriff Chris Prine and his entire team of investigators at this time were all white. The family's attorney, Shaveen King, has focused mostly on the pictures taken of KJ in the gym where his body was found. And these photos show signs of bruising before the autopsy took place. So they're still horrific and they say enough on their own. And the reason for bruising, you know, notating that there's bruising to his body after he's unrolled from the mat is that there shouldn't be bruising from that type of accident. Positional asphyxia shouldn't cause Mm -mm. clear, you know, bruising to the face as, as if blunt force trauma had happened like we're seeing in the photos. So they all started to feel that maybe this would have been a much different investigation if KJ was white. I feel like they certainly would have handled the crime scene better and gotten a coroner there much faster. Imagine if this was a white female. Oh, would have been handled totally different. Totally different. Especially if the parents are like 
going to law enforcement mm-hmm. being like, mm-hmm. guys, like, why are you wrapping this up so quickly? Like, we need to look at some, uh, some of the other possibilities here. And they're just like, nope, case closed. We're done. This is it. Especially when their evidence for it is pretty strong. I mean, they have plenty of things that need to be looked into more that were just dismissed. The the EMT that was Mm -hmm. there on the scene initially notated bruising of the right jaw. And you can clearly see from the photos, there's Mm -hmm. bruising on his face as if he got hit in the face by something. So the more KJ's parents learned about the crime scene and the autopsy and also the police response, the more convinced they were that there was some type of cover up going on and they wanted answers. So to bring more attention to the case, Jackie and Kenneth gathered outside the Lowndes County Courthouse with other supporters in April of 2013. They formed a line in front of the building to block the entrance, which is illegal. So seven people ended up getting arrested, including Jackie and Kenneth, and they were charged with obstruction. The NAACP and the Valdosta Southern Christian Leadership Conference helped them petition for a second autopsy. Five months after the investigation was closed, a judge agreed and KJ's body was exhumed. That's intense. I mean, and I know that's what they wanted, but that still has got to be so emotional for them. Yeah. Yeah. Traumatizing. And this second autopsy was paid for by the family's attorney's office and private donations from fundraising from a rally they did in May of 2013, which was hosted by Al Sharpton. Which definitely helped. Definitely. He'd helped a lot with this case. They also hired a private pathologist, Dr. William Anderson, to perform the autopsy. And what he found was shocking. Because when he opened KJ's body, he discovered that his organs were missing, including his brain, his heart, and his lungs. And not only that, guys, his body was stuffed with newspapers. His family describes literal crunched up pieces of ads, JCPenney ads, grocery store ads in his body. So if they haven't been through enough trauma, add that to it. What I don't understand is why did why they didn't know this before exhuming him. Right? You know, why wouldn't you know that? It, you think that would go, you would think you would know every single part. Like anything that was out of the ordinary, they would ask the family or let you know. Because this is out of the ordinary. This is something they used to do a long time ago. And of course, his organs could provide crucial evidence for his cause of death. The first autopsy report said that his right lung weighed 260 grams and his left lung weighed 240 grams. And according to Dr. Anderson, if he died from positional asphyxia, his lungs would have weighed a lot more than that. GBI spokesperson Sherry Lang said that his organs were inside his body when he was transported from the GBI to Harrington Funeral Home. They said that the funeral home checked the body and verified that the organs were there. But the owner of the funeral home had a different story. He said that the organs were never there. He actually wrote a letter to the Johnsons saying that he never received Kendrick's organs. And I mean, what if you're going to write a letter to the family, clearly this guy's telling the truth. And when asked about the organs, Bill Watson, the county coroner, said, I don't know anything about that. But what difference does it make? What does it matter to the case? <laughs> what? what a stupid thing to say. Seriously. Why is that your judgment call to make anyway? What a stupid comment. Of course it matters. But the funeral home pointed to a statement from him where he said Rodney Bryan, a death investigator with the GBI, had not sent the organs back with the body and that they were disposed of due to decomposition. Again, wouldn't wouldn't the family be notified about that? We decided to throw out his his organs. Yeah. Why would they not know this? This makes no sense. Which... It's not the first time we've heard of 
sketchy things with the GBI. That's true. So many things. So many things with the GBI where they're just, they don't know what the hell they're doing. They're doing weird, sketchy shit. They're one of the worst. We see it over and over and over. Basically, there's just a lot of pointing fingers between the funeral home and the GBI and as to what happened to the organs. No one really seemed to have a straight answer. It was just kind of like, I don't know. I thought you had them. It's just like, I don't know. It's like, who, who can we blame here? Right. It's not us. Regardless, the family should have been notified mm-hmm. of any type of change like that where you're going to dispose of their son's organs. Like, what? So during the transport of his body, KJ's body was not in the custody of the coroner or the GBI. It was actually with a man named Steve Owen. Steve was a retired Valdosta police officer who ran Owens Transport, which is a company that transports dead bodies. Bill Watson contacted him to transport KJ's body from the high school to the Valdosta Lounge Regional Crime Lab, where it would be kept in a cooler. And on January 14th, Steve transported the body again to Macon, Georgia, which is over two hours away for an autopsy by the GBI's medical examiner. After the autopsy, he picked up the body to be taken to Harrington Funeral Home, And after that, he signed a property inventory sheet that included two white socks, a pair of pants, a pair of black shorts, a belt, boxers, and three t-shirts. But according to the funeral home, Kendrick's body didn't come with any clothes, just a pair of broken headphones. So Jackie and Kenneth suspect that maybe KJ's clothes contained evidence of a fight or a struggle or possibly forensic evidence like someone's DNA. Also, his fingernail clippings weren't kept for further testing either. They could have also had someone's DNA on them. You'd think that'd be one of the first things they check. So what happened to his organs and why were there newspapers in his body? So during the embalming process, it's normal for bodies to be stuffed with something. But most funeral homes stopped using newspapers because it's just disrespectful. Back in 1970, So this hasn't been a thing for a long time. Which makes sense. I mean, we can't find anything else better than old newspapers to put into the deceased body. Like, what? Normally, they use sawdust or cotton. So there is no reason why they decide to use, you know, newspapers in just KJ's case. You just run out of of cotton and sawdust that you thought, oh, I'm just going to grab this local paper and crumple it up and put it inside this poor kid's body yeah and the funeral home just basically said well it's standard practice for us to stuff it with something something, so but they didn't explain why they used newspapers for his case so after the embalming process organs are normally sealed in a bag and put inside of the body and if organs are missing for any reason those spaces are now filled with this absorbent preservative powder sometimes mixed with cotton right if the organs are missing if they're missing there yeah but that was not there in his case at all so of course this really freaked people out and rumors started about an organ trafficking ring that could have stolen kendrick's organs but obviously they wouldn't have been viable by that point no but i get it i mean there's already so much like conspiracy mm-hmm. with this case that's it's just, I mean, it's just yeah it can't be explained so you're The Georgia Secretary of State opened an investigation into the funeral home and found that KJ's body wasn't mishandled in any way. The Georgia Funeral Board sent a letter urging them to update their practices and stop using newspapers to stuff bodies. So in February 2014, Kendrick's parents filed a lawsuit against Harrington Funeral Home for mishandling their son's body and deliberately withholding information about his condition. However, this lawsuit was dropped in 2019 and they've refiled it since, but literally, I mean, the, they already were cleared of any wrongdoing, but 
seems like something went wrong in this funeral home. So for the second autopsy, Dr. Anderson couldn't test any of his organs, which would really limit what he was able to test. He conducted the autopsy as best as he could and still had some significant findings, which he presented in a four page report. In his report, he found bruising on the right side of KJ's neck that was caused by blunt force trauma. He said the bruising was consistent with inflicted injury and ruled that his death wasn't an accident. Dr. Anderson's credibility, however, has been questioned. He was allegedly fired by the state of Florida for unethical actions, and plus the bruise on KJ's neck was small, less than an inch, so pretty unlikely to cause death. Nevertheless, the new cause of death was listed as unexplained, apparent non-accidental blunt force trauma, which this was huge, and federal investigators commissioned a review of both autopsies. Kendrick's parents were hopeful that the official cause of death would be changed so that the case could be reopened because the case was actually closed in May of 2013 on May 2nd. The second autopsy was also reviewed by coroner Bill Watson, and he said that it was very vague, Dr. Anderson's report, and it lacked specifics, even though it was a full four pages long. The review determined that the first autopsy was actually more credible, so the second one was dismissed. Jackie and Kenneth then requested a coroner's inquest in order to reclassify Kendrick's cause of death as homicide, but in order to do this, they needed to present this evidence at a public hearing. So they enlisted the help of Benjamin Crump, who's a Florida lawyer who represented Trayvon Martin's family and advocated for criminal prosecution of his killer, George Zimmerman. Benjamin Crump called KJ's case a real-life murder mystery, which obviously it is. Yeah. He said it went against all logic, the rules of science and common sense, that KJ climbed into the wrestling mat and got stuck. He believed it was much more likely that someone rolled him up into the mat. That does seem a lot more likely. It does. I mean. Right? I mean, just the fact that the opening is so small. Right. That alone You could squeeze somebody in there. It's possible, right? He could have, but. It It would explain the positions of the shoes as well. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, before they tip it upright, they could slide that black Adidas shoe under it and throw his Nikes through the top of it. Yeah. So once again, KJ's parents were very hopeful. The coroner had agreed that the case was mishandled by the sheriff's department. And in his report, he said he was never told by, quote, who or when this body was found. He said KJ's body had been noticeably moved and that there had been no cooperation from law enforcement at the scene. And he said the sealed body bag shouldn't have been opened on January 13th when Kenneth viewed the body. After an on-camera interview with CNN, Bill Watson sent an email asking for the interview to be destroyed and never aired. The one he gave on CNN, Mm -hmm. which is very sketchy. Yeah, that is. And despite all of this, the request for a coroner's inquest was denied. So now let's talk about the surveillance video a little bit more, because this is where Mm -hmm. there's a ton of contention. In October 2013, after weeks of protests by the family and community members, U.S. Attorney Michael Moore agreed to a formal review of the case with the help from the FBI. He said that they also needed more witnesses to come forward in order to officially reopen this case. Around this time, a video of KJ's grandfather, Eddie Tooley, was posted on YouTube. And Eddie talked about the questions the family still wanted answers. Here's a clip. One of my concerns is uh, of the investigation. They had cameras in the gym where the investigation was done. I would like to see, I would like for those uh, videos to be shown. I would like to see them. Then it would show you exactly how they conducted the video, how they conducted the uh, investigation, and whatever happened. And uh, it would even show 
if he was standing up and bent over in a mat or was he was laying down and they rolled him in a mat. So that video needs to be also shown also. So then that same month, a judge ordered authorities to release all the surveillance video related to the case, which included over 1,900 hours of footage from 36 different cameras. Sheriff Chris Prine had only released a few seconds of KJ jogging into the gym, and the school had claimed that they had offered to show the rest of the footage to the family, but KJ's parents declined. We're not sure if they actually did or not. But his parents said that they wanted all of it released to the public for everyone to see. So obviously this does include special permission because the footage has minors in it. It's at a school. So they had to make sure that this was okay to release this to the entire public. There are disputing stories about who filed the motion for the footage to actually be released, but the decision was made after a closed-door meeting at the court with attorneys for the family, school, and sheriff's office. Once it was released publicly, there was a lot of controversy around the footage, of course, because many people believe that it has been altered. Since the cameras are motion detecting, they don't start recording until someone's actually in the frame. We talked about this earlier. So it looks kind of odd. They aren't activated by people walking far away, like down a hallway or something like that. They turn on when someone walks directly into the frame. So it does seem kind of cut up and students seem to appear out of nowhere and then pop in and out of the frame. It just looks kind of sketch. Yeah. So let's play a clip of actually a forensic expert on, you know, security footage like this talking about some of the surveillance footage here. Those files are not original files. They're not something that an investigator should rely on for the truth of the video. Well, the timestamp is uh, in another stream of video, so you have to be able to access it using special codecs. So you have to really know where to find it, but it's, it's there. Once the timestamp is located, you can then begin to make sense of it and begin to track people. But this video is not the best evidence. It's been changed and altered so that we are missing information and what we have been provided is not the best quality. This expert forensic guy brought up something uh, very interesting and and very true about the way that this surveillance footage was handled. So typically in a way that the way that this would work in a competent police department that does crime scene investigation properly is that they should be taking, you know, the entire hard drive of this computer yeah. uh, that so basically to kind of explain how a surveillance video system works is you have video uh, servers you have different servers that are all basically dvrs for these cameras and they're recording to these dvrs but the problem with with these different servers is a lot of times the clocks on the servers are not synced up together so right. you end up having you know that's why you're seeing in those clips the timestamps all alter different which right. is not helpful at all. No, it's, these cameras really aren't doing timeline. anything. Yeah. Right, are, are not really doing anybody any good. It's really mucking it up more. Right, but the the thing is, is that instead of having the school district's IT person send them exactly what you know, send the police department exactly what they asked for, what should have happened is the police department should have took the whole the servers, thing. taken it to their guys, and had all of the raw data. Because like he said, it's altered because it was copied to a disk or something and given to the sheriff's department. So there's a possibility that whoever did that could have deleted, altered, done something to or somebody else. Maybe it wasn't even maybe somebody got to it before the IT guy did and changed something. So you really don't know. So really, and we're this, not saying that that is what happened. Right. We're saying that could have happened 
And if the police had just taken the system from the beginning, that would have ruled out the possibility of someone altering with it. Right. And it would have put all it. of the responsibility on the police. Right. As Because the police can now be like, oh, well, that's what yeah. the school district mm. gave us. Yep. So that's yep. all we have. That's we didn't point. change it. We didn't delete it. But there's no way to know. But the problem is there's no trust with this police department. So the last thing the family wants them to do is be completely in control of it and take the whole thing. Well, I don't know. I don't know what exactly they would want, but it's just like either way, it's a frustrating situation for the family. Right. The little footage that we do have of KJ is of him walking through the hall earlier that day mm -hmm. to that afternoon where he's walking into the gym. And then there's just a few seconds of him jogging toward the mats. But there is no footage at all of him leaving the gym. Later that day, a group of students were seen playing basketball and the color guard had practiced there that night. And there actually was a camera that faced the mats, but it was out of focus, like we noted in that video clip, and the top of the mats weren't even in view. And KJ's never seen or shown near them. And again, very, very difficult to be able to mm -hmm. even make out who's who's over there. They look like little, basically little... Ants. Yeah, like little figures over there. So obviously with the cameras not having you know accurate timestamps, there's blurry footage, it's going to be very, very hard to piece together what was happening in the gym, who was in there based off of the footage. But one of the kind of more weird things about the footage is that there's at least an hour missing from around the time KJ would have been in the gym or some Convenient. other people would have been in the gym with him. Mm -hmm. So an hour of footage. Some people are like trying to point out that this is just because the timestamps are off by an hour that like, you know, mm. and they're definitely off, but I think for sure there isn't just a gap of, of gym footage where we have no idea what happened to it. So very, very weird. I mean, definitely. There should be more footage of him for there, sure. There should be. Because I mean, yeah, the cameras are bad. Yeah, they're blurry. But we should have had more footage of, of KJ in there at some point. Next, we're going to get into potential suspects in this case. If, if this wasn't an accidental death, then who may have done this to KJ? Before we get into that, though, we're going to take a quick ad break. So in 2014, Jackie and Kenneth filed a wrongful death suit against the county school board, the school superintendent, and the principal, claiming that KJ was killed by one or more students on school property during the school day. Also, this is interesting, but KJ's body was discovered by the superintendent's daughter, which the Johnsons claimed was by design. They also filed another suit against the school board for failing to protect KJ from bullying, harassment, and discrimination, particularly from a white student named Brian Bell. So Brian wasn't specifically named in the court documents, but his mother, Karen Bell, told the media that he had been in a fight with Kendrick. But she said that it was no big deal and that they made up right away. Other students said that the boys had been friends for years, but KJ's parents claimed that this wasn't true. The fight supposedly happened because KJ had slept with Brian's girlfriend and Brian found out. And apparently they had gotten in a big fight about it on this bus trip to a football game, which was about 14 months before KJ died. And friends confirmed that there was a big fight on the bus and that tensions had been high between them. And at the time of KJ's death, they weren't close anymore, but friends said that they had made up and there wasn't any beef between them. The boys had voluntarily worked on a science project together after the fight. So KJ's parents believed that Brian killed KJ with help from his older brother, Brandon Bell, who also went to the school, and that the whole thing could have been covered up by their father, Rick Bell, who is an FBI agent, of course, and they believe that he may have been involved in KJ's case. They suspected that Rick was leading this cover-up 
and that he had pressured local officials and the FBI into ruling KJ's death an accident and closing the case, and that he may have even been involved with suppressing evidence. Which, this is their theory. This is the family's theory. I mean... This is many people's theory, Yeah, it's, it's a lot Tons of Tons pe- of people believe this. Sure, and I, I see see why you know they suspect this. But to, for this to even be possible, especially when it comes to suppressing evidence, covering up an investigation, we're talking massive corruption within multiple law enforcement agencies. Well, is it possible? Nothing is impossible, but mm-hmm. is it unlikely? It's hard because there are so many different agencies that they would have had to been kind of working yeah. together. I see what you're saying. But Jackie was certain that it was Brian and Brandon that had killed KJ. And she posted their names on Facebook, accused them at public rallies. And that's how the media even learned about these boys and who they were. Outlets reported that the brothers were suspects in the murder, either by using their names or describing them well enough that it was obvious who they were talking about. But police believe that the brothers had strong alibis. Brian and Brandon weren't on any surveillance video in or around the gym when KJ was there. But it's possible, like we said, that this footage could have been altered and maybe the brothers were removed from it. Or they just aren't able to be identified in the footage because it's so blurry. I mean, there's really no way to pick out faces or even what somebody looks like in most of that footage. Mm -hmm. Or they knew how to get around the foot, you know, get around the footage or cameras. But one of the big things here is that when KJ was in the gym, Brian was in class and this was verified by a teacher and other students in the class. And he was also seen on surveillance video on the other side of the building An FBI video analysis of this surveillance footage officially cleared Brian of any involvement in 2017. Brandon's alibi was that he was on a bus going to a wrestling tournament in Macon, which I said Macon earlier. It's Macon, Macon like bacon (laughs) over two hours away from where they are. So You know, there were dozens of other students on this bus, too, that verified that he was on the bus. But what if the timestamp of when KJ was in the gym was altered? That would make both of their alibis meaningless. The only thing we know is that KJ went into the gym at 109 p.m. We know nothing else after that. And there's no way to possibly know what exact time frame everything even happened at in the gym you know and from the footage because all the timestamps are all out of whack right so this may have been you know we don't even know like what what point did they leave for the wrestling tournament could it have been could there have been enough time for brian and brandon to murder kj it seems possible you know we just don't know exactly how long that would have been how long how much time did they actually have to murder somebody you know in the gym and then go off and, and, you know, back to their day as normal. I mean, it's very difficult to know because we just, Mm -hmm. I mean, the only thing we have is the timestamps and they're all wrong. Yeah. And then in November of 2014, KJ's parents and their attorney, Shaveen King, disclosed a video that challenged Brandon's alibi. In this video, they claimed that a student crossing the hallway in front of the old gym is Brandon Bell. The brothers were never named as official suspects in the case, though, but Brian was confirmed a person of interest. There was another person of interest whose name was redacted from the FBI records. We don't know who it is, but the FBI's analysis of the surveillance footage concluded that there was a second person of interest that was on the campus in the parking lot when KJ entered the old gym. So it probably isn't Brandon Bell who they believed was on the bus. That's the thing is like that, that alibi is very shaky. Like, I mean, who really even knows? 
So analysts added timestamps to the stills from the video since the school surveillance system wasn't accurate anyway. Because they're just trying to piece together mm -hmm. everything the best that they can. But mm -hmm. it's probably not going to be 100% accurate no matter what. And then investigators interviewed over 100 students, but they weren't allowed to talk to Brian and Brandon because their family's lawyer had advised against it because there was evidence that showed that they weren't involved. So the FBI tried again to interview the brothers, but their parents still wouldn't allow it. And they spoke to the FBI on their behalf. Well, their dad's an ex-FBI agent. Yeah, so. of course he's like, no. Yeah. There's still questions about Brandon's alibi and what time that bus actually left the high yeah. school. Just no way to know. School records showed that athletes were excused from classes at 11.32 a.m. to go to the school's first lunch session. Lunch ended at 12.02 p.m. This is when Brandon and the other athletes supposedly departed on their bus. So the family's attorney got three documents from the Lowndes County School Board, and they all say that the bus left at 4 p.m., including the bus's travel log. Boom. The school's attorney, Warren Turner, claims that this time was from a trip request filled to reserve the bus a few weeks before, and that 4 p.m. was the start time for the event, not the departure of the bus. But he didn't explain the three different documents that stated this time. So, again, we just have who, no idea because it's mean, all inconsistent. They're not keeping official records mm -mm. of even when the bus left, which is weird because I'm pretty sure they have to do that. Like, yeah, they're supposed you're to. supposed to do that. Like, you know, before, you know, getting back in school, you get on the bus, mm -hmm. the school bus driver would be like filling out a bunch of paperwork and stuff, counting everybody to mm -hmm. make sure because they have to notate all this. And even the school district's records are all screwed right. up. They're not even keeping track of things. Right. So like, confusing. It just makes situations like this so so hard to figure and it out. only i mean it only feels the family's case too mm -hmm. that like what the hell guys like yeah. this, you guys don't even know what time people left so it absolutely is possible that brian and brandon mm -hmm. were in that gym earlier that day but the wrestling team coaches and bus driver plus some other witnesses have supported brandon's version of course of events. sure so who knows and according to Warren, the coach's cell phone records prove the timeline. He got a call in Cordell, Georgia, which is about an hour away at 1.53 p.m. And then the Bell Home got raided. And this was a big deal. All of their electronics were seized, including their cell phones, laptops, and cameras. But of course, the police didn't find anything linking Brian or Brandon to KJ's death. So here's a clip of them talking on the local news about what it was like being raided. This is... Uh where they knocked um, the morning of around 5 a.m. Um, you can see the scuff marks from the shoes as uh, the U.S. Marshals knocked. I was laying in bed. I got a bang on my door. I was just really shocked. I broke down the car. I really had no reason in my head why they would be here. It just keeps on getting worse. So clearly, if you hadn't heard of this case, you can see now why people are so split on it. People either really support Kendrick's family and they believe that this was a murder or people are coming to the defense of the Bell brothers believing that they have been sucked into this whole thing and their lives have been really affected by it. Yeah. So all the speculation around them and their family cost their family tons of money and legal fees and has had these lasting effects on them. So obviously all the speculation around their family cost them a fortune to defend themselves in legal fees and they claim that it's had lasting effects on their lives. Brian Bell was a highly recruited linebacker and had received a full ride athletic scholarship from Florida State University, but the scholarship was actually revoked because supporters of the family contacted the university and told them that he was being investigated for murder. Which is technically really not true. 
what the what mm-hmm. the search warrant was for was for witness tampering. Mm-hmm. They were looking they were looking at other charges revolving around were they in, you know not murdered but were they involved yeah. with like tampering with witnesses evidence things like that. And like we said, they were not named as suspects no. in the murder. They were one of them. They was were named suspects as a person because, of interest, but right, it was all because the Johnson family put their names out there to the world. I mean, at, by that time, this case is huge. I mean, millions of views online. So to go and put these boys names out there with really, you know, not, not very much evidence mm-hmm. other than circumstances, you know, from their past, I mean, which I mean, I get that that's dangerous. really hard because if they didn't do it, this is obviously terrible, right? Because every time that they would try to go to any school or any school would pursue Brian for football, people would call and tweet them and suddenly they would want nothing to do with him. So that's really sad if he wasn't involved. Right. But I'm just not fully convinced. So the worst damage to the reputation came from a journalist for Ebony magazine. He wrote a series of articles in 2013 and 14 that explicitly stated that KJ had been murdered and described the brothers you know, well enough that people were able to figure out who they were. So their parents were obviously very upset and they filed a $5 million defamation lawsuit against this journalist and the publisher. So now the publisher is bankrupt and they ended up settling for 500 K in 2020 and now they're bankrupt. This publisher. Yeah. The stories that the Ebony also wrote launched the case into the national spotlight. Mm -hmm. Rick and Karen Bell claimed that their sons were threatened by other students and isolated from their peers after these allegations were made public. They also accused the magazine of being the source for the rumor that KJ was killed by their son, Brian, for hooking up with his girlfriend, Taylor Aiken. The police had actually received an anonymous email about this rumor. The email said that after Brian found out his girlfriend, Taylor, slept with KJ, he confronted him. And KJ said to meet him in the old gym and that he would have his knife ready. And that's when he was killed. The email said both brothers had admitted this to multiple people. However, this is interesting, too, is that Taylor actually denies sleeping with KJ, and she said that she didn't start dating Brian until three months after KJ's death, which that's just what she says. I mean, we that's don't know whether so or not that's confusing. true. so confusing. Now I'm really confused. Right, right. Here's what the email says. Quote, my best friend was at a party Saturday night with Jane, and she was upset about something that Joe had said to her. And my best friend started talking. And by the end of the night, Jane had told my friend everything that the whole nation has been wondering for the past year. She told my friend what really happened to Kendra Johnson. She said that about a little over a year ago, she had sexual intercourse with Kendra Johnson while she was dating Joe. Joe found out and threatened KJ. KJ told Joe to meet him in the old gym at the third block and he would have his knife ready. Joe and Joe's friend met KJ and killed him. Joe has also been heard admitting to killing KJ more than once over the phone. His brother also got drunk at a party on the 4th of July and told many people that Joe killed KJ and that Joe's brother was tired of keeping it a secret. End quote. So this email that was just read was a rumor that she heard, you know, at a party or something. And there's no way to know if it's true. We have no way to know if this person who sent this in, but regardless, the stories got published by Ebony Magazine and they spun all these rumors as fact. So in January 2015, KJ's parents filed a $100 million civil lawsuit against 38 people, including Brian and Brandon Bell and another student named Ryan Hall. Other defendants included school officials, the owner of the Harrington Funeral Home, five agents at the GBI, state officials, and employees of the local crime lab. 
The lawsuit claimed a white female student lured KJ into an undisclosed location in the school where he was beaten to death by Brian, Brandon, and Ryan Hall. Rick Bell, their father, then staged KJ's body in the gym with help from the superintendent, Sheriff Chris Prine, and dozens of other state and local officials. I mean, that is, you do have to assume that all of them are in on this and working together. Yeah, it's hard. To protect the Bell brothers, pretty much. Brian Bell eventually got another scholarship to the University of Akron in Northern Ohio. And when Michael Moore resigned in 2015, the case was handed off to the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Northern District of Ohio. There was no explanation for why this district was chosen, and it raised new suspicions of a cover-up. The Bell family eventually moved out of state and into protective custody after receiving death threats. Karen Bell has said that they plan to move again off of the grid, and she added, I always have my 38 ready. You never know. Wow. And before resigning, Michael Moore didn't release the FBI analysis of the surveillance footage as he had promised. KJ's parents didn't know if Brian had been cleared by the FBI or federal prosecutors. During a sworn deposition, Kenneth Johnson admitted that they didn't have the evidence to support these claims and the civil suit was voluntarily dismissed. Because again, this is all going back to a rumor that is published in this Ebony magazine. And this is what the family truly believes. But again, there's, there's not enough evidence even for a civil suit to continue. And not everyone rallied around the Johnson family. Mm-mm. And many of their actions have been criticized, including them naming suspects with little to no evidence. I mean, it's tricky. I see I see where the criticism is coming from, for sure. But I also understand the desperation as parents to find out the truth. Well, But it's like, if they're, if they're innocent, then that's very powerful. Yeah. I, I mean, because we don't know, and there is a chance that it was an accident. So therefore, if it is an accident, then... You're essentially ruining, you know, the lives of the entire Bell family at this point. But then again, I guess we don't know and they want answers. So it it makes sense. It's very tough. Jackie also posted suspicions that Sheriff Chris Prine's son or grandson, who was also a student at the high school, is involved in KJ's murder. But the problem with that was is that the sheriff doesn't have a son or a grandson. Mm. So it's just literally made up. So they're making stuff up. She also posted a picture of a student's 92-year-old grandmother with the caption, Justice will be served apparently implying that this student was somehow involved in the case. The Johnsons also accused Reverend Floyd Rose, president of Valdosta's chapter of the SCLC, of stealing the money raised by the Al Sharpton fundraiser. So they're just like, I mean, they're upset. They're like, they're just, they're trying to pin anybody that they can, it seems like. Meanwhile, the NAACP and the SCLC had conducted their own investigation into the case. And both organizations were once strong supporters of the Johnsons but they withdrew their public support when their investigations didn't uncover any evidence of foul play or a cover-up. The SCLC had actually conducted two investigations and reached the same conclusion. Kendrick's death was a tragic accident. Lee Touchton, who led the NAACP investigation, accused the Johnsons and their attorneys of lying to her and the media. So that's, that's very concerning. And she actually resigned from her position with the NAACP and helped with the SCLC's second investigation. In 2015, she concluded that if there was a cover-up, over 100 people would have to be involved, which definitely makes it a lot less believable. Yeah, it really does. It does. She said that all of these people would have had to be telling the same lie for over two years and that the murder theory was false and ridiculous. But according to Georgia law, the crime scene and the body weren't processed correctly. And that's absolutely true. It was not. That alone justifies suspicion that there could have been foul play. There's no way to know if there was evidence of foul play because all the evidence wasn't collected, processed, or handled correctly. Which I think is what 
his family is so upset about Mm -hmm. is that they don't know and they probably won't ever know if there was foul play involved because the scene wasn't processed correctly. I mean, how many times has this happened Mm -hmm. in cases where families, you know, they, they want to know, you know, if all possibilities have been exhausted, have been investigated thoroughly. Right. And when it's not, even if it is an accidental death, it can still be incredibly. I mean, how do you have closure? Well, it's just confusing too. Yeah, you know? it is Hearing confusing. different things, right? And, and rumors of this and that and too I don't help. Blame them for not trusting people too, because of the way that it was handled in the beginning, and just the way his body was handled. Right. Yeah, I mean, you'd be pretty skeptical of mm-hmm. everybody involved with the investigation by the end, for sure. One thing that they really wanted an answer for is whose blood was on the wall found on the gym. Also, they wanted to know if those spots on the tennis shoe were blood. KJ's organs should have been available, too, for testing. That's got to be so frustrating. So there's more questions than answers at the end of the day in this case, which makes you think that the murder theory isn't false or ridiculous. It's an unproven theory that could be proven, possibly with more evidence. Right. And with more evidence is key to that. And until you have more evidence, you unfortunately can't go and accuse people of committing murder Mm -hmm. when you don't have evidence to support that and especially outing people by name to the point where you know you're getting death threats because people think you're a murderer when there's no proof that you are but people have made the point too that you know with all there was a lot of people involved and maybe they would have all had to be involved for it to be a cover-up but it when you really think about it only one or two people could have really suppressed one or two pieces of crucial evidence that could have pointed to the killer sure but still i mean you still need a lot of people Mm -hmm. working together yeah in unison that are willing to kind of push the truth aside to kind of you know make everything roll in that direction i feel like i mean that'd be very tough to do and you're talking multiple agencies when you start talking about multiple agencies what are the chances that all these agencies all have corrupt individuals that are all working Mm -hmm. together to try to cover each other's backs yeah it's possible it is possible but is it likely how often do we see that not very likely so but uh, if you if there was a chance that it was possible and this was your kid wouldn't you want to fight till you have you're absolute sure yeah you're absolutely i I totally get it i mean you want somebody to be held responsible for this but it's just at the end of the day really i mean you should be mad at law enforcement you should be mad Mm -hmm. at the police department because school there's plenty of people to be angry with yeah sure but like you would have probably had the answers had the investigation gone correctly and the Mm -hmm. crime scene been preserved and Mm -hmm. everything there had been tested DNA swabbed for other people's DNA. I mean, that's the thing too, is like when you look at this thing as a whole, how, how does this even go down? Yeah. You know, like how does this go? How many murders happen in schools these days? Like gyms like this, it's very It'd be weird for them to make the decision to do it at the school. Why at the school? Why not at a party? Why not just, you know, on his way home or something? Why why risk being in a school with tons of people, cameras to find a time to kill somebody? That yeah. to me is very very unlikely. So the Johnson family has continued to file several lawsuits, but pretty much all of the cases have been dropped or dismissed. And they've also been dropped by multiple lawyers who see no hope that the case is going to go anywhere or they just believe that it really was an accident. Having their son's case dismissed by law enforcement and the very real possibility that key evidence could have been missed or suppressed seems to be just driving them crazy. And I can't imagine how that would feel. And then in 2016, a federal review of the case was completed. 
the Department of Justice said that there was not sufficient evidence to support federal criminal charges, and Kendrick's death was ruled an accident. So all the way up to the federal courts. Mm -hmm. I mean, this has gone through so many hands, and they've all come back and said, there's not enough evidence pointing to foul play. But I think at the end of the day, that leaves people feeling so frustrated because they're not, they don't have to come up with any reasons or an apology for everything else that was mishandled and his body. And it's, it's all this these other injustices after his death that are just kind of being tossed away. You know? Sure. I, I understand that. I understand it's it's our system is very flawed. It is. There's a lot of issues with how it works. And it doesn't work efficiently most of the time or correctly. I understand the frustration. I understand the anger. But at some point, the case moves beyond a point where, you know, unless new evidence surfaces, what we're going to get into in a sec, yeah, you can't, you really can't do that much with a mm-hmm. case. You know, it's already been reviewed, peeled, you know, you've tried lawsuits, everything's been sort of shut down. I mean, there's not really much else you can do until you bring investigators new evidence that points in a different direction. Mm-hmm. On August 6, 2017, the family's attorney, Shaveen King, filed a statement from a new witness in the case. This guy, Ryan Domecq Hernandez, claims that Brandon Bell confessed to him at his apartment in Jacksonville, Florida, in April 2016. He said that Brandon admitted to pretty much everything the Johnson family believed about him and his brother, Brian. Brandon told Ryan that there was a fight in the gym between KJ, Brian, Ryan Hall, and himself. Brian and KJ started to physically fight, and according to Brandon, his brother was on steroids and hit KJ in the neck with a 45-pound weight or dumbbell during a roid rage that killed him. Then he threatened Ryan and said that he better keep quiet. Their father, Rick Bell, then conspired with the sheriff, Chris Prine, who met with coroner Bill Watson, and they made a plan to suppress key evidence. They made sure that his organs were removed to hide injuries and his real time of death. Then, apparently, they falsified autopsy records to cover their tracks. Then, another FBI agent altered the school's surveillance video to make sure that no one saw the fight or what happened to KJ. This agent corrupted or deleted an hour and 25 minutes of the footage. Okay, so this is all coming from Domek. Right. And what he's just saying happened. Mm -hmm. And does this all make sense? Yeah, somewhat. But at the same time... It seems very unlikely to me. I mean, based if you look at the forensics of the case, to be hit with a forty-five pound dumbbell to the point where you—that's the cause of death. That was more than just a little bruise. There would have been more than there would have been way. I mean, they would have had to bash him to pieces. He would have been, you know, a lot worse shape coming out of the mat than he was. Obviously, Mm -hmm. he he looked like you know somebody who has died from positional asphyxia. But if you had been bludgeoned with a dump, 45 pounds, that's a heavy dumbbell, first mm-hmm. of all, to be bashing somebody. So there had been indentations, skull fractures, bones broken. I mean, there would have been a lot more damage if, in fact, that's how he was killed. Don't you think? Maybe. I mean, I could be wrong. Maybe hit him somewhere else in the body and it was never notated in the autopsy. Could it be this big conspiracy cover-up? It could. But... There's no way to know. And there's no way to to prove it at this point. Yeah. And then on August 18th, 2017, this guy, Ryan Domecq Hernandez, was arrested for trespassing. And a woman called the police when he allegedly punched through her bathroom window. Right. So, so he's it's just like, how can you take this not guy very reliable, right? Not very reliable. So Jackie posted on Facebook that this was witness tampering and that the charges against Ryan were bogus because she believes Ryan. 
She also complained that the media was more interested in the $300,000 that they were ordered to pay instead of the new witness that had come forward in the case. With this new witness statement from Domek, KJ's body was exhumed a second time for a third autopsy because now they're going to go look for, you know, Mm -hmm. the signs of blunt force trauma from a dumbbell. Third autopsy. Yeah. Exhumed again, too. That's just wild. You don't hear about that very often. The family hired Dr. Anderson again, and he found signs of blunt force trauma near KJ's corroded artery and near the lower portion of his brain stem. And he agreed that the injury on his neck could have been caused by a 45 pound weight. Could have been. He also explained that the trauma around the corroded artery or brainstem could cause the heart rate to slow down and then stop, leading to death. Dr. Anderson added an addendum to the second autopsy report and clearly contradicted the conclusion of the first autopsy that KJ had died of positional asphyxia. So here's the thing with this. You know, this new statement comes out that, oh, this is how it happened. They go and hire the same guy who who doesn't have a great reputation for being a reliable pathologist. And he contradicts himself. Wouldn't he have found this the yeah. first autopsy? He had no. a four-page report. That doesn't look good to contradict your no. previous report. And this is the third autopsy. So yeah. you'd think the second would be more spot on, especially if it was done by you. I mean, and why how would can you explain that? And why would you hire the same pathologist? Mm-hmm. That's where they got it wrong right there is they should have hired a different reputable pathologist to do this third autopsy because he his report was basically thrown out by law enforcement and everybody else they, were, they basically disregarded it because of who he is so that wasn't you know the best move there but jackie and kenneth requested a coroner's inquest for the second time in december 2018 and this time they wanted a jury to hear the evidence and decide if there was a reason to believe there was foul play but again the request was denied so now jumping ahead to most recent developments In January of 2020, Jackie and Kenneth filed another lawsuit in federal court against 12 defendants, including Rick, Brian, Brandon Bell, the school superintendent, the former sheriff, Chris Prine, medical examiners, GBI death investigator, Rodney Bryan, Lowndes County, and Steve Owen, who transported the body. The lawsuit is for $75,000 and an unspecified amount for punitive damages and attorney's fees. And the defendants are accused of a conspiracy to hire to cover vital information and evidence of crime or crimes. Several defendants have asked the state court to dismiss the case because the Johnsons never paid the $300,000 to the Bell family that was ordered in 2017, arguing that under Georgia law that they have to pay off the previous case costs before filing a new one. But since April 2019, the new Lowndes County Sheriff, Ashley Polk, has been fighting to get the federal investigation records for KJ's case. And during this time, a petition to reopen the case received over 1.7 million signatures, and in the description, several students are named and blamed for Kendrick's death, including Brian and Brandon and the girl KJ supposedly hooked up with Taylor Aiken. The petition was shared on social media by Benjamin Crump and even Kim Kardashian West. Which sure. really blew this up. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. So then most recently, March 9th, 2021, Sheriff Polk's request for federal records were finally approved and the case was officially reopened. So this has been huge. He said many times that he would reopen the case if he could get those records, and he stood by his word. He said that this is being treated like a brand new case and that he's going to review all the evidence personally. So it's kind of one of those new sheriff in town type situations. So who knows where it's going to go from here. Mm -hmm. And his team received 17 different boxes of evidence, which includes tens of thousands of emails, texts, and interviews with nearly 100 people and multiple hard drives. So KJ's parents believe that the answer to his death is somewhere in those boxes. 
And this is the first time that all of the evidence from the state and federal investigations has been in one place. And there could be more information in those boxes that was never released to the public. That's the thing is there could be things we just don't know about. Yeah, which hopefully, there, I mean, hopefully there is. And, yeah. you know, hopefully there's things that were kind of, you know, slipped, put under the rug and that come out and we get some more answers. And just in March of 2021, KJ's parents received evidence that may actually solve the case. They were contacted by a person who had secretly recorded a family member confessing to KJ's murder. KJ's family said that they are confident that this 25-second audio clip is authentic and believe that it could lead to criminal charges in the case. Marcus Coleman, a spokesperson for the family, actually said that this recording is likely a Caucasian young male, and he emphasized the young age. The speaker also sounded very afraid and spoke through tears as he said twice that he knows he's going to get caught. Now, we can't actually play you the recording now because it hasn't actually been released to the public, but we know that it exists. We don't know who it is. We don't know if it's verifiable. It's still very up in the air. Right. But here's uh, Kenneth actually quoting the recording. It's, it's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, quote, they're going to catch me anyways. I should have never done this. I was young and stupid. Kendrick didn't deserve this, man. A couple of seconds go by, and he ends with a very tearful, they're going to catch me anyways. So obviously their family believes that verifying the tape's authenticity is crucial and essential to solving the case. Yeah, and I mean, if the recording is fake too, or a hoax, then this person could be charged with extortion. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, either way, they definitely need to talk to this person and figure out, you know, who who they are and what they know. Because again, 25 seconds is not that Mm -hmm. long of a recording. And this person literally sold it to their family. Yeah. So that's that's kind of taking advantage of a desperate situation. I mean, we don't know if it's authentic or not, though. Right. And it could very well be an extortion situation mm-hmm. where somebody just tried to get a thousand bucks out of the family. Very good. Cause I mean, they're, you know, they're yeah. actively looking for tips and things like that. So, so right now investigators are working on finding out who sold them this recording. And obviously they're trying to figure out who is in the recording as well. Yeah. I think they have a picture of them actually, but they're still trying to verify, you know, that matches up with the recording. But again, at the end of the day, Sheriff Polk is doing a full investigation, going through all the evidence and in authenticating this recording and all this will take at least six months from March, 2021. So maybe by the end of the year, we might have some more updates on the Kendrick Johnson case. And, and maybe, I mean, hopefully, hopefully the, you know, we get the full truth, the full picture of what happened, you know, or at least some more answers. Yeah. There's just so many things right now that leave you feeling so unsettled, just leaving this all to, it was an right. accident, move on. You know, you right. can't cause there's so many different things here that need to be addressed. Right. And as of right now, Brian and Brandon Bell still aren't suspects, but that doesn't mean that they won't become suspects in the future through this investigation. But regardless, I mean, this was hugely traumatizing for the Lowndes High School and for all the you students, know, students there because, yeah. I mean, that's just, it, it's such a weird situation. Like, you don't mm-hmm. hear about this very often. So I, that's, I'm, I go back and forth, back and forth with this one because mm-hmm. I know this whole concept of accidentally falling into a wrestling mat to grab your shoe and then dying inside the mat is very weird. And, and there's, you know, thousands of schools that have wrestling mats and, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. has this ever happened before in this type of way? I'm sure there might be some other situation where something like this has happened, but Mm -hmm. in this way, 
doesn't seem likely or somebody of this, you know, five foot 10 athletic, like Kendrick with his body type, like just doesn't seem like he'd fit in there. But then again, we don't really know what happened or maybe he was just reaching for a shoe and he just happened to get himself stuck to a point where he couldn't get out. And it definitely brings you back to the point that we were talking about earlier about how they didn't have lockers for the students. Shouldn't the school be held somewhat accountable for that? Because if this really was an accident, it seems like it could have been avoided if he had a fucking locker. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If that's the case, that's really sad. That's extremely, really really tragic. I mean, either way, it's a, it's a tragic end uh, for KJ and his family and And for many of the other students that went there because it became so dramatic and stressful that many of them transferred to private schools or went to schools in a different district to avoid. Yeah. Well, this, I mean, to hear that potentially there's murderers running around your school Mm -hmm. that are murdering somebody in the gym. I mean, that's scary to think about too. Mm -hmm. And they're loose. I mean, I mean, I'm sure a lot of the students had a lot of conflicting feelings about things and were nervous because they didn't know if it was murder. They didn't know if it was an accident. And I mean, at the end of the day, it comes down to the crime scene and it wasn't processed like a crime scene. It was processed like an accident and quick, quick and dirty job. Let's clean it up, get it out of here and move on. When in actuality, there was evidence that could have supported foul play may have been committed there with the specks of blood on the other shoe on the wall. I mean, the wall things really, nobody Mm. saw the blood on the wall. The janitor that night didn't go and wipe the blood off the wall. I know. I'm very confused about that. It's like things like that, that we just don't have the answers to. And it could have been dealt with so easily in the beginning of all this, if they just ran proper testing. I mean, it just comes down to all so many investigations come down to forensics and DNA and being able to collect that proficiently and test it proficiently leads to cases being solved. Yeah. Yeah. But so often police departments across the country, the world just don't do it right and miss it or they don't collect it properly. And then cases end up like this. Or they just fuck it up. Yeah, exactly. And then we just never know. I think that's the hardest thing with this is that I have a feeling that this one's just going to be a never know situation. Like we're never going to know the full truth behind it because there's just not going to be what evidence are they going to be able to bring unless the person literally comes forward and says this is how i did it here's how i did it and it all makes sense it all lines up with everything but that seems unlikely to me so some of the biggest questions in the case here can never really be answered for sure we'll never really know if this case would have been treated differently if kendrick johnson was a white star athlete instead of a black star athlete would this crime scene and investigation have been handled differently i bet it would have and if it was a cover-up did his race make it easier to pull it off KJ's family strongly believes that they have been up against a crooked, evil system, and they won't stop fighting until they can get justice for KJ. And they say that people can help by spreading KJ's story, donating to the Kendrick Johnson Foundation Fund, which is on GoFundMe. We'll have it linked below. And so far, they've raised $51,000 out of their $400,000 goal. So if you would like to help out with that, that will be linked below. But yeah, it's a tricky one. It definitely is. I I don't know how I feel at the end of the day. I don't feel comfortable saying either way. Well, we can't because you don't know either way. Right. There's so many things that are still unknowns yep. that I don't think I can make an educated I just decision. It, the way that I look at it is I have to look at everything from a very logical perspective because if you think about it emotionally, you're going to start, you're, you know, obviously it becomes painful because you're like, how did this happen? But when you think about murder theory in this, it become right. murder theory mm-hmm. conspiracy cover-up if you're away them out 
it seems like accidents probably more likely if you just look at it very logically because a murder at a school like this is going to be very difficult to pull off also mm-hmm. wouldn't brian and brandon have some type of dna on them wouldn't they have blood specks on them wouldn't they have had more i mean if they're bludgeoning him with the dumbbell there's going to be blood there's going to be blood spatter there's going to be yeah. different things i mean i agree with you that it's it's unlikely and it's seems more likely that this was an accident but there's still that chance that it may not have been which is very unsettling you know for yeah. everybody involved and just being a student you know like i just have so many questions about school policies here and the crime scene and then just the coroner too like what the fuck i i get why their family doesn't trust anybody at this point i do too i get it I so, totally get it. I don't know. It's, it's very hard because either way you look at it, it's extremely sad. If this yeah. was an accident, this it seems like the school has some responsibility here. And then you also have to think about the Bell brothers. If they really did have nothing to do with this and they, their lives have been ruined, that's very unfortunate. If you were in the Johnson's position, you would want to you know, do everything that you possibly could to get every single yeah, answer. Yeah, you want to leave every stone unturned. Yeah. I totally get it. Yeah. But it, it becomes a problem when you start lying. When you start lying and make, make things up about making accusations without evidence, not, is, that is doesn't very help. Po- yeah, it's it a, doesn't. It's an emotional response to the situation as opposed to to following the logical legal proceedings in a way that would have actually helped their case, probably as opposed mm-hmm. to hurt it. Because now, again, you got a lot of people out there that think that that don't believe them at all and, and believe yeah. that this was an accident. And yeah, you it, know, it really they made seems it like worse. people are 50 50 at this point because just. You don't want to be out there lying about people or accusing people with no evidence. I mean, no, it definitely just, made it it definitely made it more dicey. And having pictures of him and not being honest yeah. about when they were taken. It's all very misleading. Yeah, and it it's hard. Cr- it's very raises hard. suspicion around the family. So but with the trauma they have been through, dude, I mean, trauma does. Yeah. I mean, none of us of, can sit know? here and say how we'd react. So I can't yeah. really I'm not judging them at all, but I'm just looking at it from a very like logical point of view that I totally get why people feel one way and people feel the other. But it seems like until we know more information, which hopefully we do get this yeah. year yeah. that you can't really say either way. Cause yeah. this, this recording could be huge. We just don't know. It could be. We just don't know. We don't at this know. Point. So I want to know what you guys think for sure. We definitely want to hear all your theories and opinions on this one. Cause I know you guys have them. So leave those below and that's going to be it for us this week, but we will be back next week with another episode of Mile Higher. But until then, keep on taking your mind a A mile mile higher. higher.